Folks, welcome back to Trainwreck tonight. 317, sponsored by Outlet Liquor, your place to buy a case this entire holiday season. I know people can't wait to get into it. And speaking of can't wait to get into it, I can't wait to get into last night's redonkulousness with our recurring guest, Chris Trapasso. Chris, welcome on at this time, sir. How are you doing? How is everything outside of the bills for you? It's good. It's good. Uh, being in the thick of football season, a lot of young, fun quarterbacks in the NFL, kind of inching toward draft season a little bit. Uh, Sabres are here. So outside of the bills last night and being five and five, everything's going pretty good. Outside of Merlin the Pig, Chris Trapasso is my favorite TikTok account. So make sure you guys are following <laughs> along, of course. But Chris, you wouldn't be living in Western New York if somehow you didn't feel a little bit hungover today, regardless of how many uh, in drinks you responsibly had last night. It was the Monday night debacle, volume two for this season. Uh, fans woke up yeah. wondering how what happened last night happened. Uh, you know, I said we'd take it slow. Uh, we kind of get into it. But, you know, what was your instant like gut feeling, you know, when that kick went through the uprights and the clock read zeros last night? It was that that game like when you say debacle I, I think that is perfect it was volume two after that Jets game to start the season on Monday Night Football for the Bills my first thought truly and I said it to my dad I was at the game was that was like everyone had their hand in that loss like there's been times like the Hale Murray was just a great play by DeAndre Hopkins in 13 seconds you can maybe point your fingers here and there like all of the games, even in just in the Sean McDermott era that have gone awry, and there haven't been a lot of them, but the really bad losses, it's usually not like Stefan Diggs has a drop and Gabe Davis has a drop and there's 12 men on the field and there's a pass interference late and Josh Allen throws a pick. It just seemed like every single key player and some guys on the sideline had a role. They did everything they could to lose that game. And I saw a couple of tweets that said the Broncos did everything late to lose the game, but the bills like were better at trying to lose. So I just thought that it was a complete, it was complimentary football to lose that football game last night for the bills. Oh my gosh. Not compliment, not using the C word in here, Chris Trapasso <laughs> this early, but yeah, let's get into it and just kind of talk again. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but we'll go through the emotions of the game. Yeah. Last night. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's hard. Again, you look at like the numbers today. You know, someone tweeted out today the Bills had one of the most successful offenses in week 10. I don't even know what these theoretical numbers mean anymore, Chris. This might be the season that finally broke me as far as analytics and charts. But it felt like the offense was okay. It's just, yeah, they found ways to shoot them in the foot. The Gabe Davis tip interception, obviously, the Josh interception on that, uh, you know, out route, or I don't even know what it's called, the corner out, the cover two mm -hmm. beater that, you know, we've seen yep. multiple yep. times this year uh, get beaten by defenses. It felt like everyone found their way on the offensive side of the ball to do that part, like you said, and the defense kind of kept us afloat in the first half. Was that the same vibe for you? Yeah, same vibe. And another thing that I thought was like kind of eerie that going into the game, I, again, I'm just going to reference my dad because I'm sitting right next to him. I said, you know what would be nice for the Bills? To not have a first quarter turnover. And, you know, there was one against the Cincinnati Bengals after the first drive the first drive against the new England Patriots and that loss, Josh Allen throws a pick. And then last night, first play of the game, it almost seemed like impossible that the bills could do that again, to have a turnover early, the giants game, Gabe Davis has a turnover, I think on the second drive or very early in that game as well. So I thought that, like you mentioned, the Josh Allen turnover late uh, in the first half ultimately led to a very easy three points. 
the Bills are not just shooting themselves in the foot throughout the game, but that those first quarter turnovers that kind of just sets the vibe. And a lot of them have been deep in the Bills' own end to give the other team, a lot of these teams, not great offenses, New York Giants, uh, New England Patriots, and then last night the Broncos, give them a short field. It's just absolute takes the air out of the sails right out of the gate. So I think eventually the Bills are not going to turn the ball over in the first quarter deep in their own end, but it's been a long stretch of those, uh, you know, huge momentum swinging type plays early in the game for the Bills. And just to have that on the first play was almost just like foreshadowing. Um, and it was a little bit eerie again because of what they've been doing over the last month and a half. Seriously, and you made a lot of great points there, Chris. So I'll try to tackle them one by one. I have got to admit something. First off, my dog, Prince Philip, is getting involved in the action. So just excuse him if he makes his way into frame. Uh, I have been a McDermott supporter, defender, advocate, whatever you want to call it. I will, you know, eat the salsa uh, here right now. Uh, we are in dire straits. And we'll get into this later in a segment called What Are the Odds? But uh, I went into this season thinking not only did McDermott have job stability, I mean, he had a chance to build his own coaching tree potentially, you know, with Dable yep. obviously having the success in New York. Now it's looking like he might be uprooted uh, in more ways than one. I think uh, a lot of people viewed the Dorsey move today as a defense of his job, but reeling that all in, I think that when people hate on, you know, McDermott for being a little bit more conservative, et cetera, things like that. Part of what he wants in his game plan is just an, a strong to above average start. Uh, and these turnovers in the first half that have been happening for the last month and a half, whether it, or, you know, for example, uh, in the Bucks game, not only did they have a turnover on a tip Josh Allen pass in the first half, uh, they had a fourth and goal at the one that they didn't convert on. Uh, mm -hmm. That's almost a turnover in itself. So McDermott wants these strong starts so that, yeah, his defenses can pin their ears back. They can be dictate the pace a little bit more instead of having to make decisions like blitz zero with a minute left in the game on the line, things like that. So, you know, I reel it in because you understand what they want to do, but it's like you said, the yeah. pieces just kind of aren't uh, going together at this point. Um, and then we get into the second half. You know, this is a game I think a lot of fans I've seen today a lot and a lot of that I've talked to. This During the drought, this was a game you were like positive they would lose. Even though they were staying yes, in it, yes. they would find a way to lose for sure. I think in the quote-unquote Allen era, uh, sorry, Taylor Swift, uh, but you know, this is a game that they tend to win. Uh, you know, yeah. whether there was some, you know, stinkers quote unquote in 20 late 2021, uh, when the weather got bad, that they kind of found ways to win at the end or in 2019, uh, when they found a way to come back against the dolphins and kind of make that second half comeback. And it felt like that because the offense obviously was get flowing. It felt like the only thing that could stop the offense was themselves last night. Did you feel like going down the stretch? It was going to be a game that the bills were going to be able to eke out. Yes. When it was 15 to 15, I don't know if that was the start of the fourth or like late in the third, I was like, okay, fluky turnovers in the first half. You know, James Cook cannot hold on to the football, although he ran it well. And that kind of was to the Bills detriment offensively because he was averaging like eight yards a carry, but they just had to take him out. I mean, there's a little bit of maybe criticism for McDermott to take him out and for such a prolonged stretch in a game where James Cook was running well. But I thought, okay, they've kind of righted the ship. They haven't turned the ball over. Uh, Josh Allen was moving the football. They could run it at will. It wasn't like Denver was just scoring every time they were going down the field. The defense started to kind of grit their teeth a little bit. It did feel like the Bills were going to ultimately – I didn't even think squeak one out. I thought they could have scored 10 – 14 more points and won that game going away. But then the mistakes continued to pile up um, and those just back-breaking final drives allowed by the defense. Mac Jones a couple weeks ago and then Russell Wilson last night. 
It's the difference between being five and five and seven and three. Seriously. I think that's what's really got a sour taste in a lot of people's yep. mouths is that basically if uh, McDermott defense, you know, which is again, I think that, you know, McDermott has done pretty well given the losses on the defensive side of things. Now has his job as a head coach faltered a little bit. I think so. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that there's definitely an argument for that. And you see it there with, you know, the fact that you had these teams in a spot where like, let's face it, Denver had not necessarily been moving the ball. Uh, they get a short field in the first half. They they convert on that fourth and three, which is, you know, to be honest, I give credit to the players on that one. Uh, that was just a mm-hmm. hell of a play uh, in the corner of the end zone there. But besides that, not really much offensive mm-hmm. success on the night. You get them in a position where, yeah, they've got to go at least 45 yards to get in field goal position, but they do it pretty easily. It was, you know, Russell Wilson with a little dump off. I'm Jerry Judy on that. Uh, now, a lot of people are talking about, you know, as we go down the stretch of the game here, now we're talking last drive after Josh Allen runs it in. By the way, all runs on that last drive was kind of hysterical. At the end yeah, of the day, Ken, Dorsey, Ken Dorsey's defining last drive is going to be all runs that ended in a <laughs> touchdown. It's basically the opposite of his tenure when you yep. break it all down. Uh, but you know, they get that, they get the first play, uh, the Broncos on that little, you know, uh, Russell Wilson kind of shovel. Uh, I think it was like 15 to 17 yards. It was a big chunk, obviously yeah. off the gate, but I think they get to a third down and a lot of people are hating on the cover zero blitz that comes later in this drive. But I think that this was actually the blitz that kind of took things off schedule for the bills. I think I would have liked to see them drop here and kind of trust their front four. I think outside of Von Miller, I hate to say it. Listen, I'm not pointing at Von Miller to be like the weak point of the team because I know when he's at the top that he can be the winner, the closer for this team. Mm-hmm. He's obviously not at this point, and hopefully he's working his way back. But Epinesa, Rousseau, Oliver, I mean, these guys all felt like they were eating uh, from the second quarter on last night. And I would have liked to really trust them in that spot. I don't know what your thoughts on the kind of buildup of that final drive was. That is a really good point, and it's funny how – we collectively can kind of flip because it felt like last season, Leslie Frazier was too conservative. People thought, Hey, like what's going to be the deal? Like what's going to be the identity of this bill's defense under Sean McDermott. And a lot of people that knew Sean McDermott or coached with him previously over the offseason said, Oh, he'll be more aggressive. And we, we have seen more blitzes, but I completely agree with you maniac that late in the game, they had those two sacks late in the fourth quarter and they were not on blitzes. They were on, dropping seven, playing coverage, and just not allowing Russell Wilson to get the football out of his hands in a hurry. And finally, on some stunts, Epinesa Rousseau had a sack. It felt like later in the game, not to go prevent, but to kind of go the old school Sean McDermott way and say, look, we are going to rush four and play awesome coverage on the back end. And not that Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are bad, but it's not like you're facing Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase in that situation. And again, because situationally, just a few drives before that, they got those sacks and they ultimately got a sack before the pass interference when they weren't having to rush a bunch of extra players up front on the defensive line. I I think one of the sacks was on a blitz, but I agree with you. Playing more coverage and just making him hold the football, which he has a tendency to do, seemed like the better course of action late in the game. And you got to take it all, you know, where it is. So I, I forget the exact down and distance. I think it was like second and three around the 40 or something. The The Broncos were right up to territory where they could basically kneel it and kick a, a, a feasible field goal in today's era. Uh, and McDermott shows basically full pressure uh, and they get to Russell Wilson. They collapse the pocket instantly and they get a big sack back to about the 45 yard line. 
So out of field goal range. Uh, yeah, definitely out of field goal range based on what you had seen this night. Nobody was hitting above like a 55 to 57 from yard that, on this night, it felt like. From that way, yeah, because there yes. was a lot of wind, yeah. For certain, for certain. That's the end zone where my seats are over there in the rock pile. It was definitely nice. swirling. It was definitely a little crazy. Uh, then they show blitz again, and this is on the third down. I don't hate this, and I know okay. that it didn't end up well for the Bills, but I got to say, how many times, Chris, do you see you know a team do something and execute well? And the ultimate poker move is kind of to do the opposite thing on the next move. And I think that in mm. many situations, you're going to see this one. If Russell Wilson gave this a millisecond of time thinking this was a bluff, this was going to be fourth and 15, fourth and, you know, plus back in the round midfield. Uh, but, you know, Russell Wilson drops back instantly. I think, you know, he basically just made the read at the line. I'm going to throw it right away uh, on yeah. this third and long. Now, uh, what, 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 where do, what do you fall on all this? Just before we get into so, the pass interference. Sure. Yeah. So. I'll be honest with you because I know you're an honest guy. I'm, I'm going to be uh -oh. straight up. I didn't, I did not like it. And as they were clearly showing blitz, I just like was thinking out loud and said, why are they blitzing again? Like play coverage. Like I just said before, however, to your point, maniac, it worked. I mean, I, we can get into the pass interference. I thought it was one of the weaker pass interference calls in an NFL where we see a lot of weak pass interference calls Every single week, Taron Johnson did turn around. There was minimal uh, contact with Jerry Judy. He did not impede Jerry Judy from getting his arms to the football. The ball was well underthrown. It probably was technically catchable, but I think it was on the verge of not being catchable. So it was ultimately probably the right call. I, I just didn't love it because I thought they were already out of field goal range. If you play coverage, yeah, maybe you're going to give up a three or four yard gain, but even if 57 58 yarder with that kicker going right into the wind, I think would have been a very low percentage kick. So I don't know if either if I'm right or you're right, but ultimately, again, I think it was a bad call. So what Sean McDermott did dial up back to back blitzes maybe could have made him look like you know brilliant. It like had everything not transpired late with the 12 men on the field and all that at the end of the game. A hundred percent. I, I, you, you made all the points there. It's basically. It works. He's a genius. It messes up. He's an idiot. There was no, there was zero ground for what it goes. <laughs> yeah. I only take on this play because I will say this. If who was it? Jerry Judy, uh, that got yeah. interfered with, uh, yeah. if Jerry Judy, if that's, you know, Gabe Davis versus Patrick Sertan or something, I want that call 11 times out of 10 for sure. Okay. If I'm the other fan away. So that's the only give I could take. My only take on this is that Clearly, Chris, you've seen throughout the year, uh, especially this year, it may have started last year and even a little bit before it, but everyone kind of knows that these refs are talking upstairs when there's like personal foul penalties, maybe some iffy penalties or things like that that they need to sort out a spot, whether something was fumbled. They're talking quick upstairs. Pass interference calls like these, they seem to warrant enough to me. I don't know that you need to be able to challenge them. I don't think everyone should be reviewed, but maybe we should at least have someone upstairs just going forward, just admittedly, like acknowledge at NFL that someone's looking at these in the 10 to 15 seconds where we're ruling a 30 to 40 yard play to, to you know, essentially win the game. Yeah. I mean, there are some rules about, you know, no coaching challenges inside two minutes. I think late in games like that, we saw it in the Super Bowl, the last, you know, the second to last play of the Super Bowl that ultimately determined the game. I wouldn't hate that even if it was in the final minute of a game that if they could be, um, whether it, they're automatically challenged or the refs have to really all agree and it can't just be one of the refs, it wouldn't hurt, I don't think, if they got those calls that are truly like 
you don't make the call, one team wins, and you make the call and the other team wins that really have that big of a determining uh, impact on the game. Yeah, good point from the mic, man. Not sure there's a harder job in sports than CB covering some of these wide receivers. Agreed. Of course. Um, now, I again, I said I am a McDermott uh, advocate slash defender, uh, okay. but too many men on the field here. After multiple timeouts, that's on him ultimately at the head of, you know, even though it's not McDermott sending the 11 men and community gave them in that moment, it's kind of like the CEO of a company when, you know, a vice president makes like a ghastly air basically, right? Yeah, I agree. And what's weird is, is that I think last night in his post-game press conference, Sean McDermott said, oh yeah, we practiced that exact situation in practice during the week leading up to the Broncos game, rushing out mass substitutions to make the other team have to waste time because they have to wait for the defense to uh, to substitute. Um, so if they're practicing it and Maybe this is harder to do in the NFL in real time, but it's not as though it was super quick. Like you could see the Bills special teams unit on the sideline ready to go after Russell Wilson or uh, down that football. So that is very strange to me that they had this exact situation, which is decently rare. They practiced it just a few days ago and like one too many guys thought that he was on that field goal block unit. Yes, that is 100%. I mean, I don't want to say 100%, but very much on Sean McDermott as kind of the CEO of this Bills team. Yeah, so obviously uh, it trickles down. Uh, let's get into a light. I mean, we all know what happens from that point. Obviously, the Broncos kicked the field goal. They went. I felt great when the scramble was happening. I'm not going to lie. I'm in that rear end zone there. I'm on the other side of the goalpost. So okay. when it went by, you know, I knew that it wasn't coming at me. I knew he didn't pull it, uh, gotcha. but I was hoping that obviously push it. It goes, it goes. I have just enough time to see it like up. So I look down. I mean, you know, I hate to say it. I know I'm not the only Bills fan. Does that anytime a good thing happens to the Bills, you're just waiting for, is there a flag? Is there a fight? Mm -hmm. And in the rear end zone, I, I have ecstasy happening around me, uh, like for two to three seconds or whatever. And I just see the flag like way up in the air. And I'm just like, now off the, off the cuff, I actually thought we went over the center. That was my oh. thought on the original call because I saw the middle of the line and we were really getting after it. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, that obviously happens. Absolutely terrible vibes uh, leaving the stadium and a terrible feeling this morning as Bills fan. Obviously, uh, there's some long odds. We'll get into those momentarily here. But yes. real quick, I want to play a two rounds of, game of blame pie with you. Okay, last night's game. Break me down 100%. Who is to blame for last night's loss? 100%. So are we just doing individuals or like? Things that transpired. No, no, no. You, no, you can game. do a body like, like, like. For example, special teams. There was a 15-yard net punt at one point. There was obviously the too many men on the field. That's a little bit on the unit as well. I would say they definitely deserve like a piece, like things like that. You know. Okay, help me with the math here. As I add this, I up. got you. I got you. I'll, I'll, I got you up to a hundred. Okay. Do, do your thing. Ten per ten percent on the special teams, which okay. might even be low, but that's just the Sam Martin punts. They didn't really cover a lot of those punts very well. Obviously, the penalty late. I'm going to say 30% on the turnovers. So that's like James Cook fumbling three times. He picked up one of them. Josh Allen's at the end of the half. Uh, I'm going to say, so that's 40%. I'm going to say 30% on Ken Dorsey and the fact that it seemed as though there weren't too many open Bills receivers, like the Dalton Kincaid touchdown and the two-point conversion uh, were really the only two completions that I remember that looked like within the structure of the play schemed open players. The Khalil Shakir 
24 yarder, I think was a completely busted coverage and it was not like brilliant play designing by Ken Dorsey. It was just like, they forgot to cover him. Um, so that's 70%. And then the last 30, who am I forgetting? Um, I guess the defense, not that the defense played horribly, but Basically I think the last seven minutes, right? The last, when exactly, they let him go like the and last, then they let him do it. Yeah. The last seven minutes to, to play pretty good football for most of the game and then let him waltz down a long sustained drive. It felt like they had the, like that the Broncos had the ball for a large portion of that third quarter going into the fourth quarter for the long touchdown drive. And then just to have them walk down the field, it's exact same situation as the Patriots game. You get a stop, you win the game, first play, a chunk play, the last thing that you want, just like it was the swing pass to Ramondre Stevenson or whoever that was um, for the Patriots. And then last night, like you said, the 20, 25 yarder right off the bat. So pretty even split. I mean, you could throw in little incremental percentages there to like the Gabe Davis drop that turned into a pick. Kincaid had a drop. Diggs had a drop. Yeah. Um, I guess I didn't throw Josh Allen in there like specifically, but his interception at the end of the half was not very good too. Like I said at the beginning, it was a group effort just Absolutely. in the complete wrong yeah. way. There were a lot of pieces there. Uh, so now let's simplify it a little bit. Bills are at five and five, well below okay. expectations. How do the blame pie break down for that? Why don't I kick this one off? Okay, I'm yeah, going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give McDermott at this point, the, the worser things get, the more it's on him because he's running Agreed. out. He's That's running out of point. scapegoats for perfect sure. Point. So I'm going to put him at 70% right now. Okay. 70% because I am now that Dorsey's gone, Dorsey would have taken a large piece yet. Actually, no, I'm going to McDermott 75%. Because Dorsey okay. would have taken at least 25 to 30% last week to me or a couple weeks ago. And now McDermott kind of has to eat that because I can't put it on Joe Brady. So I'll put 75% for him. And truthfully, I think this is pretty reasonable to just be like 25% for Josh Allen. I could put 20% and maybe do 5% on the injuries because I yeah. do think an all-pro defense, which they had with Trey White, Matt Milano, and Daquan Jones, would maybe have turned a couple of these squeakers into, into wins for sure. So, but I mean, Josh Allen has done his part. Uh, there's been, you know, like we've just said, a couple of those throws you simply can't have. You can't have the turnover before half yesterday. Um, I think on the fourth down breakdown from last, yesterday too, uh, you know, there was a couple people who pointed out that Kincaid went in motion uh, and just is kind of like supposed to be the hot route quick open there. And he was on fourth and short. Mm -hmm. if, if Josh he Allen was. just throws it to him to his hands, Right off the snap, we have a first down there. Instead, Josh kind of hesitated. Also, I think a lot of people pointed out 2019 through 2021, Josh probably just runs right there for a quick, like, at least four to six-yard gain or something. Uh, but I think the decision-making has just been lacking. I do think that is obviously confidence. That is, you know, how mentally strong you feel in the system. And maybe Joe Brady can do something, you know, utilizing the play action to get that better. But 75% McDermott, 20% Allen, 5% injuries for me for why they're at 5-5 five and five right now. Okay, I'm going to go 50% McDermott just because he is the CEO. And yeah. I, I, I think it's to the point where McDermott, you look at his, his record, which – I mean, you don't like to necessarily judge quarterbacks on their win-loss record. Head coaches, that's what you judge them on. So, And that is the best that the Bills have had in the first five years or whatever. It's like up there with Marv Levy. Um, so that speaks for itself. But being 5-5 five and five this year, I think he has his hand in everything. He has been calling the defensive plays pretty well. But like you mentioned, he he's to the point where he can't deflect blame anymore. He can't dodge blame for this team being 5-5. Five and five. So 50% on him. I will go 25% on just the injuries on defense. And I think 
if you look beyond the Bills and just look at other teams, other seasons, a couple of years ago, the Ravens were ravaged by injuries. And then you turn on NFL Network and it's, what's wrong with the Ravens? Well, yeah, they're missing Lamar Jackson. They're missing their all-pro running back. And so it's very, very difficult in such a team game when you're not just missing Trey White or Von Miller's hurt. It's literally five or six or seven starters, like no Christian Benford or Micah Hyde last night, along with those guys who have been out since the London game or earlier, that's really hard to come back from. I will yeah. then say 20%, I'll split it 10 and 10, Josh Allen and Ken Dorsey, because to me, I think there's a little bit, not from you, Maniac, but there's a little bit of primetime bias, like nationally, that to, I think Josh Allen's two worst games, pretty unequivocally, have been both Monday night football games where the whole nation is watching them. They're the standalone game. The Jets game, he had four turnover-worthy plays. Last night had two of them. I think outside of those two performances, he's been actually pretty good. His completion percentage is as high as it's ever been. He's done a lot of he like heroic-esque stuff this season. Has he been perfect? No. The 10, 11 interceptions, a lot of them have been on, on, on tips where – Two years ago or last year, they're falling incomplete and you move on to the next down. You're just not getting that luck this season. And I don't think Ken Dorsey was doing a great job. I don't think he was the worst offensive coordinator in the league, but I thought it was time to do something different. And this is going to seem maybe a little harsh. I'm going to throw 5% directly on Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis was kept in Buffalo to be a number two receiver. And they have had so much faith in him since the four touchdown game, the 13 second game last season, they lean. Oh, he was injured his, his ankle, but he gutted through it. Last season was a lot like this season where when it's a scramble drill or a back shoulder down the field, Gabe's fine. When he's your wide receiver four and you have Diggs and Cole Beasley and John Brown, he's great as a number two. And I thought the Bengals game was the most telling part of that. Jamar Chase didn't. Jamar Chase did not have a big game against the Bills on Sunday Night Football, but T. Higgins, their number two, who was a day two pick, just like Gabe Davis, or I guess he was a day three pick early round four, but he had nine catches for 118 yards and helped made a lot of big catches near the sideline in tight coverage. Gabe Davis, zero catches in that game, three catches for 21 yards the week before, really the only game where he was even anywhere close to a focal point of the offense was when they were throwing him screens against the Buccaneers to have the drop wide open at the 15 or 10 yard line last night uh, was crushing. I don't think he really gets open very well. He doesn't create after the catch. He had the fumble against the giants. So for someone that in this big spot in a contract year with an elite quarterback, a number one wide receiver opposite you, I think he's been very disappointing and he's playing. I've said this to a lot of my friends. He is playing as many snaps, if not more, than Stefan Diggs. And you have your number two taking snaps away from other receivers who are just not getting an opportunity because he's out there. Zero catches, zero targets, three catches for 20 yards, two catches um, last night. One, he actually did get open, which is was pretty surprising to me. And the other one was on kind of a scramble drill, a crazy throw by Josh Allen. As a number two, I think he needs to be drastically better and he, to me, has been kind of a hindrance to the Bills' offense entering week 11. Well, 
That's that's a big breakdown. That's definitely something that I've missed because maybe I put that a little bit more on Josh Allen. But yeah, you're into okay. the red zone. No, 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 no. I'm saying you're into the red zone there without that Gabe Davis drop early. You know, just getting yeah. into the scheme of things. So does take the sale out of your wins as uh, what was it? Mike Markey would say. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, uh, and speaking of, uh, coaches no longer with us, Ken Dorsey, uh, fired today, gone. obviously he gone. he gone. Um, Mike, just quick take. Cause I, there are a lot of people who look and look more into it can speak to the scheme more than me. The one thing that I noticed when you see the 2020 and the 2021 highlights of the Buffalo bills offense, it just seemed like quote unquote, everyone was way more wide open. And I think a lot of that was motion and just quick reads that, you know, Dable was able to drop. And I think that even though Dorsey with the, you know, analytical numbers and the points per game, et cetera, was able to kind of parallel those, it was never as easy in the Dorsey era as it was in the Dable era. And just to be clear, I will jump down anyone's throat who says that because I know that 2021 defense had its its slump of its own. It had a very a slump very similar Bad. to what the Bills are going through right mm-hmm. now. Like the numbers are almost exactly equal. Now, whether these Bills will be able to pull themselves out of it, it's a whole different discussion. My one spin zone that I'm telling myself on this was that a lot of critics and a lot of you know Bills fans who didn't like Dorsey or whatever kind of said that Dorsey was afraid to kind of tell Josh what's what. Uh, I don't think it's mm. an authoritative thing, but maybe just kind of like set him in his place. My thinking, Joe Brady, that who's going to be coaching for not just his job, but maybe even bigger jobs in the NFL with this opportunity, working with a top three, top five quarterback, no doubt. Uh, I think that he's not going to be afraid to tell Josh. That's why I don't think he's not going to be afraid to run much more play action than Dorsey was running, which apparently is the you know core of all of our success. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Joe Brady can do. Ultimately, uh, you know, as I grow older, I realize on a, on a short week at this mm. you know level, yeah, like yeah. these things are very difficult to change and kind of implement, but yeah, hopefully it's just more of what was working for the bills offense and less of what wasn't working. I mean, plain and simple, right? Yeah. I think those are a lot of good points. I hadn't heard the theory about Dorsey not being able to kind of have the courage to tell Josh what's what, but that, I mean, there could be something to that, but your first point way more just schemed open wide receivers under Brian Dable. And what's funny is, is, and, and you certainly know, and I'm sure a lot of your viewers remember that there were times where, the Bills offense certainly never went into a lull like it's in now, but where people wanted Brian Dable fired because there was a game 100%. or a quarter or a half. Remember, remember him on the sideline or in the booth controversy? Yes, that was of big. Course, that was big. big. So, but given that, and I think you're, you hit the nail on the head with all the analytic stuff, the EPA similar, it's better. Even I even go back to two things. One I'll say, which very specific in that Miami Dolphins game, which seems like it's five years ago, but it was like two centuries months ago. ago. Yeah, 48 points. Josh Allen has a perfect quarterback rating in that game. Even that game, the one touchdown to Diggs was like Josh Allen just making a ridiculous, like the only player on earth along with Patrick Mahomes who could make that throw. This was not a master class in offensive coordinating like you saw in the Super Bowl where Patrick Mahomes, all of his touchdowns, literally Trent Edwards could have made those yeah. throws in the Super Bowl. Oh my not gosh. any, not taking anything away from Patrick Mahomes too. And not Super taking Bowl anything winner. from our guy Sky Moore, who, you know, obviously yes, Sky Moore, exactly. Impact, which, but let's face yeah. it. That could have been you or I. <laughs> yes. Yes. How often do the bills have those touchdowns under Ken Dorsey? Never, not nearly never. as often. And it's not even just comparing Dorsey to Dable. Again, look around the league. The bills have been one of the best offenses, one of the best teams the last four years. You watch a 49ers game, you watch a Chiefs game, and yes, Patrick Mahomes can do and does ridiculous stuff every single week. He has way more 
easy throws, schemed open wide receivers, Travis Kelsey, running backs out of the backfield. And you could even say, hey, you know, he's better at reading coverages. He's a quicker processor than Josh. Maybe that's true. But it seems like every complete, or not every completion, but almost every completion for Josh is like a threaded needle, ridiculous throw that's perfectly covered. Now, I do think the personnel plays into that as well a little bit. You don't have Cole Beasley still in his prime and John Brown near the end of his prime as your number two and number three. But it was just, it got to the point where it was too challenging. And the the general point I'll make is, I don't know, you don't know, no, no one knows if Joe Brady will be better than Ken Dorsey. But I think it was time to just try something different. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Brian Dable came into Buffalo. He would have been a two-time offensive coordinator with the Chiefs and the Browns, had bad quarterbacks, bad offensive skill position players, offensive lines. It was like, why are they hiring this guy that's just local? Like, who is this guy? He gets Josh Allen and all those great players, and now he's an offensive genius. It, it's We don't know about Joe Brady, but it was just time. It, things had gotten too stale. Your star quarterback in key moments looked too uncomfortable. It was just... So do something different. And what I like about it is you probably heard it in the crowd last night. Oh, fire this guy, fire that guy. And usually the correct retort is, well, all right, who are you going to bring in? Like, who are you like fire everybody, cut everybody. It's like, well, you still need to feel the team. In this case, the bills actually had someone that they were grooming yeah. to be the next offensive coordinator. So this was a situation where, where they could say, look, we can go in a different direction. And I think that's what this offense needed more than anything else. Seriously, we'll see. It'll just be a matter of time. And no easy task, by the way. I mean, that Jets no. defense is obviously ferocious. Very good. It's almost it's yes. almost in a different planet than the Jets offense. Uh, so that'll yes. be no easy task for Joe Brady. But we'll see if Allen's up to it uh, coming this Sunday. But let's get into it on this segment sponsored by Outlet Liquor. What are the odds? So I've looked them up. I didn't want to spoil too many for you. So I don't know if I sent okay. to you. Um, but at this point, Bills are two games back in Miami. Uh, Miami has kind of what a tissue schedule bills still have to face the chiefs still have to face the Eagles. Um, Um, what would you say are the bills odds to come back in the division at this point? I know what they are, but, but I want to hear what you, what you think. Oh, like, like the, uh, Vegas odds. Yes. Okay. I would put them at like 30 ish or 40%. I don't think it's completely out of the question. And this is going to sound weird. And I normally don't do this as an analyst. Like, Uh Oh, I'm not going to predict a Tua injury, but he started to take a, a lot more hits lately. Like what in the first month or like month and a half of the season or until that bills games, he like hadn't gotten sacked. And that has not been the case of late. Um, it, it wouldn't like stun me if there's a Tua tongue of Iloa injury, because he just still cannot get out of the way of, of, of defensive linemen. Uh, and they do finish with Cowboys Ravens bills to end the season. So, do I think that the Bills are going to cruise to the AFC East title? No, but I'll put it at like 30%. What are the Vegas odds? So the Bills right now at, at the AFC East odds uh, for the division, uh, I, that's kind of repetitive that I said that, plus 375. So you had them at about, like you said, 30 to 40%. That would mm-hmm. be like plus 250, plus 300. Okay, so so you're not far off, but yeah, they're okay. they're the the Vegas has shifted on Miami big time. They're into the top like five or six of Super Bowl odds now. Whoa. Uh, this point, yeah, okay. so... Now, with that said, the Bills are obviously falling. They're five and five. The tough part, and a lot of people are, you know, in Bills land, Bills country, are being negative about the, the playoff chances because of all the teams ahead of them currently. I think the Bills yeah. sit at what tenth in the conference. Uh, with that said, playoffs, 
What do you have the odds for the Bills at? Well, I know all of like, there's a bunch of different like analytical models where they do 10,000 simulations and it was like at 38 or 40%, depending on where you look before the game with a win, it was like up to 60. I never saw what it was. Had they lost last night, which they did. And I, I, someone told me that it was like in the teens. Um, so it's gotta be between 10 and 20%. Let's say 15%. But the one thing I will say, don't get too enamored with, I mean, like not just you, but try not to get enamored with. Oh, it's um, too late. Too late for with, you to get with enamored where, with these odds. Yeah, with where, no, 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 no. With, with where they are positionally in the AFC. There's still Agreed. seven games to go. And people, actually, I was listening to GR randomly the other day. And Sal Capaccio mentioned that, or actually maybe it was Joe, Joe DiBiase, that last year after week 11, I think, the Bills were in the sixth spot. So like teams are going to move like, the, the Ravens play the Bengals on Thursday night. That will change. Like there's so much that can happen. Everyone but- just like, just like nobody thought we were going to catch Miami when we were a game back. Every fan is acting like nobody ahead of them is going to lose. Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. exactly. And that will 100% happen. There will be injuries. There will be teams that go into lulls and, te- and other teams that you're not expecting that will start to play better. Um, now, of course, this is all contingent upon the Bills starting to play much different football than what they've done the last month and a half. But in terms of like what place they're in, I'm not trying to like call you out for saying that they're in 10th because they are in 10th. But I don't get too stuck on that. Yeah. Um, but I do still think because the, there's so much parity in the AFC, um, it's got to be between 10 to 15 percent. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's much better than that. It's they're plus one eighty, so they're basically Whoa. like thirty five to forty percent to make the playoffs. Still, yeah, they they still have Vegas is stubborn. See, am I crazy for thinking that like the odds? Like, I don't think them catching the Dolphins is like out of the question. Like as yeah, kind not, of Vegas I mean, would suggest. I mean, yeah, Vegas is suggested. You're right. They're they're, they're stubborn on the Dolphins. I mean, do you feel that and, same and way too? Well, I think also you know a little bit of it goes into it that, you know, they got to protect their previous position. So they are moving the number, but they're probably not moving it as much, you know, for the favorites sure. as they make them to dogs. Cause you don't want gotcha. it. Cause like you're saying, if the bills go on a run right now, like it, like bottom line, if this bill's team makes the playoffs, that indicates they had some success in the second half of the season, true, plain true. and simple. Yep. So you think anyone's going to want to be facing a, a hot Bills team with Josh Allen? Yeah. And they'll also have the narrative of, oh, Brady came in and everything changed, you know, things yeah. like that. There will be all kinds of stuff. So okay. uh, now we're going to move on to things that actually don't have real odds, but I want to know okay. your odds on them. Odds that Sean McDermott, let's face it, it's a tough day right now in McDermott country, is still the coach at the 2024 next year's opener. I'm going to put this at 80%. I'm pretty confident that he will be. I think it would have to be a disaster, and Josh would have to go to management and basically ask for him to be removed in, in terms of someone else for it to be done this offseason. But he's definitely on a much hotter seat than I could have ever anticipated going this year. But but I think it's an 80% chance for next yeah, year. Yeah, I'm glad that you said pretty close to 100% because that's kind of like I was going to say 75%. 80 is probably better. Um, again, I, I think being a prisoner of the moment and having reasons yes. to bias, we all have it. But the Pagulas with the Bills and the Sabres have gone through a lot of head coaches and team presidents and GMs. It's hard. If you're a, a, a businessman like Terry Pagula, you buy an NFL team. How do you know which football guy to hire, which hockey guy to hire? He finally got a good one in Sean McDermott. And even if you don't like Sean McDermott, and you think he's never going to win a Super Bowl. You have to admit he has been a good head coach and he's won a lot of football games. So I think because of that, 
Terry Pagula is not going to have see one bad season riddled with injuries on defense and get rid of him because that again goes back to the well who are you going to hire now and I think Terry would be much more concerned about uh am I going to go through four or five guys again before I find someone that can be as successful as Sean McDermott so yeah 75 80 percent for that one too now a lot of people have said to me when I've made that point is that you know worrying that you won't have get someone as good is not a reason to move on from a guy who you think is not the guy, but I don't know. I think that situation's a little bit over leveraged than people make it, especially when Agreed. it comes to NFL head coaches uh, and success there. Um, and now last on the odds question, and this will lead into one of our final topics here on trainer tonight, uh, three seventeen with Chris Trapasso uh, on what are the odds? Odds Stefan Diggs is still a bill in the 2024 opener. Lower, but I still think pretty good. I'll say 60 to 65%. I mean, we have to kind of see how the rest of the season plays out. Like if Joe Brady makes no impact, they win two more games, they go seven and 10 and Stefan Diggs is tracking toward one of his worst statistical seasons in a long time, or maybe even in his career since uh, like coming into the league. Then I think you could see and hear about a more frustrated Stefan Diggs but beyond at the beginning of the season, and we'll probably never know what he said to Sean McDermott in that minicamp practice. Um, he has not made any indication that he wants out, that he doesn't like Josh Allen. I mean, yes, there was the tirade on the sideline for the Cincinnati Bengals game in the playoffs. But I think Josh Allen has kind of come out and said, like, I agree with Stefan Diggs. Like, we played horribly. Uh, I didn't have my best game. We got smoked in a divisional round game at home. Like, I, I just think it's more of a first take ask narrative and his brother jumping in and saying, Oh, get traded to the Cowboys financially. It would be extremely hard to do. And think about it as well. How like it would signal like the end of like this little mini era here where you go seven and 10, everything's horrible. Bills fans are losing their mind. And then, Oh, by the way, we just traded Stefan Diggs. bad PR I, I, move for yeah. sure. Actually, I'll even go high. I think there's about an 80% chance similar to what, what, the number. The number is around team. like what? 2025. 20, if they, if he's somehow not a member of the, it's it's, and it's just somehow if he's not a member of the bills roster, it doesn't have anything to do with cutting him or anything like that. Right. It was, it was some unfathomable number this past off. It's season, crazy. Which is why yeah. it was basically uh, impossible, but uh, pretty good, pretty good work through the odds there from Chris Trapasso uh, on this segment brought to you by outlet liquor. And that just brings up our last topic of the uh, show here. And that is Trevon Diggs uh, kind of entering the chat on this. Talk. I thought it was super out of pocket. Um, it's super disrespectful to Josh Indeed. Allen. Uh, you know, again, I probably do take a little bit more offense to it as a Bills fan, obviously, but to sleep on it all night. And then the best thing he comes up with is to say that, you know, he kind of that Stefan made Josh Allen kind of bonkers from a guy that a lot of people respect as someone who can like analyze the football game. And so like that I'm going to give Trevon Diggs a small, small pass on the fact that he is injured. He's probably getting a little stir crazy in a way he can make an impact and things like that and ways to help the Cowboys. Cause he certainly can't in the, you know, in the near future. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's a brother, I guess, trying to defend a brother, but to buy to be honest, one way or the other, I feel like if you're Stefan Diggs, unless Stefan Diggs told him to say that, which some people like, uh, Mike, I think Mike Greenberg said that was actually his, his take on the situation that Stefan Diggs had 100% right up on that. And if I'm wrong, I guess I'll eat the, the salsa, but I saw that segment. I couldn't believe it. Uh, where do you fall on that? Do you think that Stefan Diggs had any idea what was going on here? Cause I feel like it's only a detriment to him. These comments. No. Okay. So Mike Greenberg is a legend in the sports media industry, but that is insane speculation. Like what does that even like, how can you come on a national 
show and say that. Uh, to me, it just seems, I mean, we heard it during the offseason where Stefan, like that whole mini camp tirade, and he was saying, oh, come to the Cowboys. Diggs never said anything that he wanted to be traded to the Cowboys. I think, yes, it is disrespectful to Josh Allen, and I'm assuming in the offseason or something, it wouldn't be crazy that Josh Allen and Trevon Diggs are in the same room together with Stefan at some point. I think it's kind of the simplest explanation is usually the, the right one where Stefan can walk over to Josh and go, it's just my little brother just acting stupid. My you know bad I mean? about and Trayvon. I, yeah, that's it. Exactly. That could be <laughs> I it. I mean, it's a massive thing, but you're right to, to, to be like, like a coworker, like a uh, family member. I said a pocket is so like non like a import. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I took it. I didn't I didn't spend any time on it on Twitter. I'm not. I, I don't okay. think until Stefan if Stefan Diggs retweets it, then oh, then I'll help. Story. Then I'll literally then, I'll then, help. Then yes, but that has not happened, and it's almost like we can't criticize Stefan Diggs for something his brother is tweeting again, like you mentioned, while he's injured. And honestly, they have a very tight bond, and and I think. Trevon Diggs watching that game last night, he was probably pretty frustrated too. And there was probably, and yes, he slept on it, but I'm sure Stefan woke up upset. Trevon probably woke up upset as well. So he's, yes, like you mentioned it kind of just under your breath there, but I think sticking up for his brother, that is a real thing. And all it would yeah. take and probably has already happened. Stefan saying, Josh, just don't worry about that, man. Like they've done nothing but praise each other, um, you know, to the media where, Stefan has had a chance to throw Josh under the bus or criticize him or say, you know, I could use a better quarterback. And he's done the literal opposite of that at every chance he's gotten. So I, I didn't really take too much from Trevon Diggs. Just, it's just like that, that Twitter controversy. You brought me down to up. earth a little bit back. Yeah. Cause I'm not gonna lie. You know, it's kind of like a secondary explosion, you know, like you mm, get a loss mm -hmm. like last night, losing Diggs in any form or him not wanting to be in Buffalo would be an equivalent of an entire regular season loss to me at this point. With the next couple of mm -hmm. years, I think he still has a head in his career. I think he could still be great, obviously, oh, yeah. at least for two to three years in this two league, three, for yeah. sure. Um, uh, all right, but hey, you made me feel a little bit better, Chris, there at the end. So that's I'm glad I saved that one for the end. Uh, speaking of for the end, uh, any uh, plugs we got? I do got to say, uh, you know, Sports City Pizza Pub, spot to be in the coming weeks mm. for Sabres games uh, and everything like that. Uh, you got anything going on or anything we need to plug here? No, but I actually stopped in there this summer and I haven't been there for a Bills game, but it looks Sports City Pizza Pub. Is that what it's called? Yep. Um, looks like an awesome place to watch a Sabres game or a Bills game, honestly, with it, all like the hockey jerseys there. It looks pretty, looks awesome. I think it's the most slept on atmosphere mm -hmm. sports bar in the city of Buffalo. So it's a pleasure for us to obviously be working them. Uh, appreciate working with you. Appreciate you coming on here, sir. Make sure you're following Chris Trabasso at Twitter, obviously X on the, uh, on the label there. And obviously on TikTok. any other platforms you're trying to, uh, you nope. know, TikTok and Twitter. That's it. And make That's sure you're it. getting to the to the wife's digital store and buying stuff for the yes, holidays. Yes. There we Louise, go. Louise and Lane on Etsy. A ton of Bill shirts. Obviously, no trademark infringement, but a lot of Bill shirts, a lot of teacher shirts, any type of shirt you need, she can make it or just look on her store. She has like 600 items on there. Uh Christmas gift ideas, Hanukkah gift ideas. Uh Louise and Lane on Etsy. That's my shout out that I want to do. That's go Louise to and Lane, and Lane on Etsy. Get it, folks. All Thank right, you, folks. Maniac. Thank you for tuning along here on Train Arc tonight, 317. Make sure you're following on all the platforms. Hopefully, in about 45 minutes, the Sabres can save us from all this Tuesday misery. But until then, folks, make sure to go have a good night now.